we're going to kick off this new series in the book of John. And the first question that I would like to start with is, why? Why did we choose the Gospel of John? How did we choose the Gospel of John? Well, before we answer that, let me just say this. So, so this is what we're calling Vision Sunday, and maybe, maybe you guys remember over the past few years, and, and I literally did this forever in um, all, you know, all the churches I pastored, and uh, at the beginning of the new year or the end of the, the previous year, I would always sort of set kind of a vision for the things that I felt the Lord had been putting on my heart for the years or for, for, for the year ahead. So that's what we're doing this morning. But we decided um, rather than, you know, preach a sermon on vision, we decided that we would talk about the gospel of John. And this will be sort of our, our um, introductory into what is going to be happening here on Sunday mornings um, over the next probably couple of years, um, a year and a half at least, as we take a journey through John's gospel, which I will say unashamedly is my favorite gospel. <laughs> so, but that's not the reason, only reason that we chose it. <laughs> So Char, Char had, I, I think, a really good perspective that, that got us thinking about um, having done 1 Corinthians. You know, the question was, having done 1 Corinthians and everyday discipleship, where do we go from here? Yeah, and I think, just like you're saying, um, in the church that I pastored, I always want to see the body of Christ shaped by the Word of God. Um, and so... You know, as we would be in a book and God would be pulling out the various themes, isn't it fascinating to the way you, you choose a book, maybe just even in your personal life, your personal devotional time, and the way that the Spirit meets you in such a powerful, tangible way. And it's like you could not have planned this, just the way that the Lord lines up the things that you're learning and then the opportunities that are happening around you. And so we would experience this even as a church. You know, we'd be covering these themes and it was almost like these very things were happening to us uh, in our city or in our culture. And it was just like the spirit was just leading us into the right teaching, the right application for that moment. And so we, we felt that way with, man, with 1 Corinthians, just everyday discipleship, how appropriate for that season that we were going through when, you know, we're being pulled in these different directions politically and ideologically and just, no, stay on center Keep it about Jesus and about our discipleship to him. And so as we were thinking through, we've just spent this year of just focusing around our discipleship to Jesus. We were thinking about how John's gospel is really all about the mission of God. I mean, one of the verses that the church just loves so much, we love to talk about, is that God so loved the world that he sent his one-of-a-kind son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This idea that the Father, the Son, and Spirit sent the Son into the world to redeem the world. And there is this just resounding theme throughout the Gospel of John about the mission of God, that God is on a mission to save, to rescue, to redeem, to lavish his love on the world. 
And you actually see this transition happen uh, over the, uh, the Gospel of John where the focus is on Jesus, the sent one, and then the focus turns to us as those who are being now sent into the world. Uh, you know, Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he says, the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And I think our prayer as we're going through the Gospel of John is that we would truly become a church that is engaged in the mission of God, even in the way that Jesus is in this Gospel. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but just Jesus is so in tune with the individual. He is being interrupted, in a sense, from the agenda and schedules of the culture around him to meet with one specific individual in order to lavish God's love on them. And that's the kind of church, that's the kind of people we desire to be. So we're hoping that that's what the Spirit does in us and through us in this next year. And um, just an, a, another little bit of a background piece on coming to John. Um, I've had this experience in my entire ministry life and I, I can look back over you know, all of these decades now and see how faithfully the Lord um, leads us congregationally through his word. And so um, I have never just randomly made a decision like, oh, I, I'm just gonna teach this. It's always been, uh, through, you know, prayer, through seeking the Lord, but it's always been a sense of God, like, moving me in a certain direction because this is the portion of his word that he wants to speak to us collectively through. And, and I can even think of times where I did not want to go in that direction. I wanted to do something else. And I think the, the one that's the most vivid in my mind is, I don't know, five years ago or whatever it was, um, we taught through Galatians on a Sunday, and I did not want to teach Galatians. And I, I kept feeling like the Lord was nudging me toward Galatians, and I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. And in, in the end, I surrendered and said, okay, we'll do it. But, but I remember as I was teaching through it, I remember thinking, this is absolutely amazing. This is the word of the Lord for this time. I didn't see that, but the Lord, of course, knew that. And so, so all that to say, with the Gospel of John as well, it wasn't like, hey, let's just have a brainstorm session. And um, I, I looked up in my, the last time I taught through the Gospel of John here was 2006, 2007. And uh, some of you, a few of you might have been with us. I was doing Saturday nights at that time. And we had an amazing journey through the Gospel of John. But that's, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And, and, but, but it wasn't necessarily any of those things. It was more just the, the sense from us as we discussed that this was the direction the Lord was leading us into. So I'm confident that the Gospel of John is going to be God's word for Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and beyond in the next uh, season as we journey here on Sundays together. I mean, it's no surprise that when we're talking about discipleship, when we're talking about following Jesus each day, you would just cultivate a hunger to look at Jesus, right? And like you guys are saying, like this idea that John presents Jesus as the glorious one and then sending 
him into the world and then sending us into the world. But, you know, we're in a period of time where things aren't, you know, glorious, let's say, for the church, right? And I know that, you know, this has been something that we've been really, you know, working hard, intentionally focused on following Jesus. So, Brian, comment on that. You know, we're, we're in the midst of this time, right? We're following Jesus. We're looking to him. And comment on, you know, why uh, looking at Jesus in this book uh, is so important. You know, there, there is an, an interesting phenomenon in, in the culture. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if you pay attention to this kind of stuff or how much you would be aware of um, a somewhat of a negative uh, attitude toward the church in the, in the culture these days. Um, and it seemingly more negative than it has been in the past. I mean, there's all kinds of statistics. There's all kinds of research about... Uh, the increase in the number of people who do not identify in any way, shape, or form religiously or especially, you know, as a Christian. But, but the negativism quite often is really directed at the church. But the, here's the irony. People who have a negative perspective on the church are not necessarily feeling the same way about Jesus. They have more of a of a curiosity about Jesus. And uh, so I think, you know, you could say that uh, for, for some people in the culture, and especially for cultural leaders, the elite, if you will, uh, the church is appalling, but Jesus is somewhat appealing. And so, I mean, that tells us that, you know, maybe as the church, we need to try to be a little bit more like Jesus. And, th and that's what we want to do. But... I think that just looking at the person of Jesus, and, and especially in the Gospel of John, because uh, I know, Char, you want to say some about this too. The Gospel of John is, it's Jesus up close and personal with individual people. Even though Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, you know, of course, there are those moments where there are the uh, in individual encounters that's not the focus of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is taking you into these deep, intimate encounters with Jesus by individual people. And through that, showing us this is God's heart for each and every man, woman, and child. And so we're going to see that so beautifully as we take the journey through John. Yeah, I do want to talk about the individuality of John's gospel being one of the major themes. But um, I don't know, Jordan, the way that you posed that question made me think about the fact that the book of John is broken up into two kind of parts. So there's the book of signs, and then there's also the book of glory. And the fascinating, fascinating thing about John's book is that John's glory theme is actually paradoxical in the sense of it is in the service and the suffering of Jesus that he is glorified. And so Jesus even uses this term uh, playing on the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, my servant shall be high and lifted up. Jesus uses this term to speak about both his glory and his crucifixion. So much so that the disciples and even the crowd are confused. What do you mean lifting up of the Son of Man? Doesn't the Son of Man abide forever? 
what are you talking about, being crucified? So they understand that Jesus is connecting these two things together and they are radically confused by it. And I was thinking about just the way that you put that question, that it is the glory, but it's also almost glory in humility that God invites us into, right? It's suffering that leads to glory. It is the cruciform life that is the way that God will be glorified. And even in our own lives, that this is the way that God will be glorified through our service, through our self-sacrificial love for one another, by us putting ourselves to death in order to put the life of Jesus on display. This is how God is most glorified. Man, what a paradox of the way that we think in our culture, we even think as individuals. And this, in a sense, is the mission that John invites us to engage with as we read the story of Jesus. As you're sort of thinking through this on your own, maybe you've read the Gospel of John before, maybe you haven't. I think maybe one of the takeaways today would be to read the Gospel of John, which, you know, is a a very easy takeaway from, from this. But I think, you know, what we want you to hear is that, you know, we chose the Gospel of John because it reveals Jesus's glory. And so especially in these first 12 chapters, which are the book of signs, before it transitions, you know, there's some debate over when it transitions, but uh, transitions to this book of glory, there are seven signs that it points to Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the glorious one. And so the encouragement would be for us to read that, to hear that, and to see Jesus as glorious, right? Like we're in the midst of a time where there are so many voices, so many things trying to get our attention, right? And they have their own glistening and glory, you know, quote unquote, that they're trying to woo us with, right? But we need to see Jesus in this. And I think the personal encounters is the sort of beautiful part that Jesus in those seven signs is personally encountering with normal people. These aren't the elite. You know, these are, well, I mean, there is elite, an elite Nicodemus that comes, but he comes in the cover of night, right? And this, this idea that God is ministering uh, in these special encounters. So we're, 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 we're lurching into uh, the themes of John, but I just wanted to make that point. The reason why we chose the Gospel of John, as we've discussed, is because it reveals God's glory. And it reveals his glory as he reaches out to men and women like us. And so read it as such. Now, as, let's transition to the themes of John, because there's some differences between the synoptics and John, and these things really play out. So Brian, touch on that. The synoptics, when we, we say the synoptics, that's a reference to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the word synoptic means, um, it, the, the idea is seen from a similar point of view. So how many of you have read through all four gospels? Have you read through all four gospels? Okay. The thing that you will note is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're, they're very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, the more you read them, the more you realize, oh, they're not quite as similar as we, we generally think they are, but, but they are seen from a similar point of view. Matthew, his emphasis is on, his emphasis is toward the Jews, toward Israel. Jesus is the Messiah, and that's his presentation. Uh, Mark, uh, Jesus is the servant of the Lord. Luke is a Greek, so he's, he's talking about the humanity of Jesus. John, although Matthew, Mark, and Luke would all 
reference, allude to, state that Jesus is divine, John makes that crystal clear in so many ways, beginning in the very first few words of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But then all throughout John's presentation, he's weaving in these stories where this deity of Jesus is being um, manifested and even being stated by Jesus in ways that the synoptic uh, authors never did. Uh, John 8.58 is the greatest example of all. Uh, Jesus says um, to the Pharisees, they said, uh, he talks about Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. They said, you're not yet 50 years old. How is it that you have seen Abraham? Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And he takes the name of Yahweh to himself right there. And so that we see that over and over again in the Gospel of John. And that's not the only I am statement. Right. No, there's seven of them, actually. Yeah, seven I am statements where Jesus is connecting himself back to Exodus 3, where God reveals himself to Moses. Remember, Moses says, uh, he's asking the question to the voice in the burning bush, who do I say sent me? And the response is, say I am has sent you. And so Jesus ties, I am the, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am uh, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. And those are the I am statements. And those I am statements really kind of jog the memory of the table of contents in John. It just gets you so excited. I mean, there's some really fabulous sections that we're going to be teaching through here. Seven I am statements. So in some ways you could break John down. You know, there's all different kinds of ways you could look at it. But, but it revolves around seven signs and seven sayings, the I am sayings of Jesus. And everything is kind of, uh, that's, that's the context for it there. Yeah, I think it's also fascinating to note that where the synoptics really do focus uh, specifically almost on uh, Jesus' doctrine and teaching, you know, Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew. You also have the Sermon uh, on the Plain, you know, so-called in Luke, you know, the parables in Luke. Mark is more focused on the servant um, nature of Christ. Um, John speaks in symbols. And so where like Matthew will quote the Old Testament, and this is how Jesus, uh, you know, fulfilled this, and Luke will do something similar. John really doesn't do a whole lot of that, except for in John chapter 12 and a few other choice areas. But John is bringing these pictures and signs and symbols of the Old Testament in continually. And so it really is a, a gospel that really captures like the I guess, like the Jewishness of Scripture, like this long history of how God had been revealing himself, not just in the teachings and the commandments, but in even just the festivals and, and in the, you know, parts and practices of the temple, the, all of these ways that God was wanting to reveal who he was to his people. And there's this beautiful thing that John does, and I've been thinking about this, where the Jews, Jesus actually, in the book, uh, in the Gospel of John, 
teaches the Jews and teaches us how to read scripture properly. And I'm thinking specifically about the discourse about the manna in the wilderness. And the Jews are looking to Jesus and saying, basically, do what God did in the Old Testament and feed us just like God you know, used Moses to feed the people. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're reading it wrong. It was never about the bread in the wilderness. It was always about how God is our life-sustaining power, and that is who I am. I am the life-sustaining bread of God. And so John is unpacking just, I mean, the profundity of God's revelation even in the Old Testament in signs and symbols. I mean, gosh, John's amazing, yeah. We can talk about that so much. Nerding out a little bit up here. Uh, But I think, you know, if I could apply that just for a second, just to say, like, this idea that as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, we do long for good things in this life. And sometimes we can, you know, look at the things that God gives us as the end, but God is saying in, you know, Jesus as he reinterprets the manna, like you're saying, uh, Jesus is saying, no, I am the thing. Like you, wa- you want, you say, you ask for this provision, but I am the ultimate thing that you need and you want. I remember w- as we were talking about this ahead of time, uh, we said it this way, God provides himself for all. He is the provision and the provider, right? The bread is bread for, for the people of Israel, but Jesus is the bread. He is that good thing. And that's really at the heart of why we chose this book and what we want people to take away from it. You don't see the thing, you see Jesus and his goodness in that provision. It's so beautiful. Now, one thing that I think was just so interesting in our preliminary discussions about this is, uh, Char, we were talking about the love between the Father and the Son. And you know, that's in the, in the Gospel of John in a way uh, that isn't really captured in the other Gospels, right? That the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. This relationship, and then, of course, there's all these intimate stories of John, the writer's intimate relationship with Jesus. So talk about that theme. Well, Jordan, you're stealing my study for next <laughs> Sunday, so <laughs> you might plead the fifth on this one. Um, so here we go. Um, so in John's intro, um, which we often call the prologue, um, Brian was quoting it earlier, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And as you begin to kind of unpack what John is saying there and kind of the meaning behind these terms in the original language, the idea is that the Father and the Son are face-to-face and that there is this... Um, relationship of love and deference in which the Father and the Son have been existing since before time began. All eternity, the Father and the Son have loved one another. And that even John, the mission of God that John wants to highlight is that the Father and the Son have loved one another along with the Spirit. And they're like the, the work of creation is the outpouring of the Trinitarian God. It's the outpouring of his love to create humans that would join this community of love. And then at the end of the prologue, John writes 
about the one who has existed in the bosom of the Father or who has been at the side or in the lap of the Father. And then we read at the very end of John's gospel that John himself at the Last Supper is in the lap of, resting on the bosom of Jesus. And so if you could kind of picture almost like cascading waterfalls, the Father, Son, and Spirit have loved one another, poured their life and love into the world. And John himself is a recipient of that love. He experiences this intimacy with the Son. Just as the Son has leaned on the bosom of the Father, so John has leaned on the bosom of Christ. And he writes to us that we also might experience that kind of love and intimacy. That we might know the Son and the Father in this same way, and that we might actually join in the community of God's love. It's incredible. That's a good preview for next week, right? So this is one of the major themes, and I think one of the things, yeah, this is worthy of clapping for God's love. We're a church. But one of the things that we talked about too, and we've highlighted this a bit already, but Brian, if I could ask you, like the love that is shown to uh, John the Apostle, and then also to different people throughout the book, is often at particular pain points in their life. Like, there are people struggling. I think of Lazarus as kind of like the sort of most difficult yeah. struggle where Jesus delays his coming, right? So the love coming at particular pain points. Comment on, on that a, a bit. Yeah, you know, you have... Um you have the, the healing of the lame man in the fifth chapter. You know, here, here's a man who, for 38 years, he's in this condition, and, you know, he's placed by this pool where they believe that uh, at a certain period of time, an angel comes and stirs up the water, and if, if he could just get in that pool. And Jesus comes to him and, and asks him, would you like to be well? And he says, I would, but I don't have anybody to put me in the water. And Jesus says, stand up, take up your bed and walk. So, you know, here's a person who's helpless. And not only can they not help themselves, there's nobody else that can help them. But Jesus meets him right where he's at and helps him, heals him. And then you think of the man born blind, a similar situation in John chapter 9. And then, of course, the ultimate person who couldn't help themselves was Lazarus, who was bound in grave clothes and in a tomb. And Jesus comes and calls him back to life out of that. And, and so we see that, but then we see uh, the longing, the deep spiritual longings that are met in somebody like Nathaniel early on. We see the, uh, the theological confusion that's answered in somebody like Nicodemus. Um, but I think my favorite one of all is we see the, the restoration of Peter at the end of the Gospel of John is just one of the greatest, most touching, most moving moments in all of uh, biblical history, you know, where Jesus takes this dejected apostle who has publicly denied that he even knew Jesus, and Jesus restores him. And you think, wow, is there anybody beyond restoration? The answer is no. So you see those things. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So, you know, as we wind this down, we wanted to apply this, 
right? We wanted to look at John's purpose statement, right? Because John gives us that purpose statement um, and then apply some of these things um, as we go into our week, as we prepare ourselves to uh, let the gospel of John sort of wash over us and to take it to our, into our hearts. So uh, Char, why don't you kick it off? Highlight John's purpose statement. Yeah, so yeah, John does a huge favor for us in that he gives us the purpose statement. And so it's almost like, I use this almost like a filter. So John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So John records very specific stories about Jesus. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that, like, we can almost read every story in this gospel through that lens. This is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life And man, this book talks about that life, that abundant, overflowing, joy-filled life. And so this invitation to us is that as we encounter the stories of Jesus, as Brian was just unpacking the stories from Nathaniel all the way to Peter, that we would find ourselves even in these stories. And our questions, our confusions, our pain points would be met at those places that we might grow into Christ and that our quality of life in Jesus would grow, that it would abound, that it would overflow. And so what a beautiful invitation to grow as disciples of Jesus in this year. And again, going back to the beginning, that we would grow in our love for the lost that we would engage in the same way Jesus does with individuals' pain points, with their fears, with their theological questions and doubts, that as the Father has sent Jesus, that we would know that we are the sent people and that we would go out into the highways and byways and we would engage like Jesus does, being a good listener, being a patient listener and listening for the pain point, listening for the fear, listening for the hurt, listening for the disillusionment in order to bring in the love and life of God. And Brian, we have an opportunity as a church to step in and encourage our neighbors and encourage those uh, in our community with these exact sayings like Char is mentioning. Yeah, and, and you know, remember last week I, I briefly mentioned this um, research that studies that were done among unbelieving or unchurched people about um, whether they would have any interest in um, finding out about the faith. And, and something, I think it was 82 or 87%, I can't remember exactly the number, but it was like that what they responded with was if they were invited, they would respond positively. They would, in other words, they would come. And going back to what I was saying earlier, Remember, there's even though there might be a, a dislike regarding Christians of the church, and, and a lot of that is, I mean, some of it's valid because of the church's failures. Some of it's just uh, misinformation that people have taken on board. But I think if we keep in mind that, that there still is a question in people's minds about Jesus, 
So over the next year and a half or whatever it's going to be, every single Sunday, we're going to be talking about Jesus and setting the record straight from the word of God. And this is a great moment to be able to say to your neighbor, to say to your coworker, to say to your relative or whatever, hey, why don't you come and join me, meet me at church Let's let's go to let's go out to brunch today. But why don't we meet here first and just see what the Lord does with that? And and again, like the mission statement, um, these things are written that you might believe. So that that's why we often, when we're recommending a place to start in the Bible to somebody, I think I almost exclusively always say. Occasionally, I've said start in Matthew. But most of the time, I always say start in John because John wrote it for the specific purpose that people would come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so there's that evangelistic element. The book is like the greatest Bible tract there would, that has ever been written. Why would we even bother to write a Bible tract? We could just say to people, hey, here's the gospel of John. And so we're going to be breaking that down. But it's that you might believe that's for those who are outside. But and in believing that you might have life in his name, that's for those who are inside, that we might grow in the life of the spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, who is obviously referenced in Matthew, Mark and Luke, John's gospel has more teaching on the Holy Spirit than any other portion of scripture, even including the epistles. So Jesus teaches us in John 14, 15, and 16, he teaches us about the person and the work of the Spirit. So those are the kinds of things that we're going to be encountering. So if you're here and you don't believe, which, you know, that is, um, you know, often where we start is that we're coming, we're seeking, we're asking questions. This is a good book. Read the Gospel of John and ask. If you don't have anyone to ask in your family or your life, ask the person seated a couple rows in front of you. You know, these are things that we're going to be looking at the glorious Jesus together. And if you do believe, I think, you know, one of the things that I love about the Gospel of John is, uh, as I've mentioned, is, is this phrase, believe in, that's translated believe in in the Gospel of John. It's, we think about it, though, a little bit differently, I believe, than John intended, because it's the Greek construction is that you would believe into, that you would step into, sort of have a motion to it, that your belief has a motion, that your life is sort of backing up your belief, if you will. Right? And that's what John means by believe in many times is that you're stepping in this, which is a very Jewish, you know, conception of faith. And to me, what's so encouraging about that is we all have different places, different uh, circumstances in our life right now. Our belief into Jesus, if you will, his ministry into our life is, can be very different and look very different from person to person. But it is so important that in that, we see the glorious Jesus. And so I pray that that's an encouragement to you as we sort of wind things down here. Uh, we do have one more uh, change that we're going to be introducing next week, and it, it's going to coincide with this kickoff in the book of John, and it's going to coincide with looking at Jesus, seeing him as glorious. And that is, we're going to be starting weekly communion. So Char, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so 
we did mention this um, in the conversation, and so I just want to kind of circle back to it too. But John's gospel is unique in the sense it has this individualness to it. And what I mean by that is that there are 67 sayings about the individual's relationship with Jesus recorded in this gospel. And that is very unique, especially among the synoptic gospels, where I think each of the synoptic gospels have three of those types of statements. John has 67 written to the individual, speaking about our personal relationship with Christ. Now, John is unique in another sense. John does not have a Last Supper. John's teaching about communion and the Last Supper is actually recorded in John chapter six. And whereas the other synoptic gospels, you know, Jesus is passing the cup, all the disciples drink of it. It's the cup of the new covenant. Paul talks about how this is a covenantal communal act that we do. We're one body, we're one in the spirit, that the bread and the cup signify that, and also that our sins are forgiven. John's gospel focuses primarily on the individual. These are the words that Jesus uses. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So if Paul focuses on the communal aspect of the bread and the cup, and it's signifying that we are one body, that we're one community with Christ. John's emphasis, again, is on the individual, and it is, as it were, a weekly altar call to the church and to the individual to come and to abide in Jesus. Weekly, we are asked, come and live in me and let me live in you. And this is the way that I want you to live in me. I want you to eat my flesh. I want you to drink my blood. I want you in this remembrance of communion to center your whole life around me. I want your energy and all of your you know, power, as it were, all of the fuel for your life, I want it to come out of this meal. And so we thought, man, what a beautiful way to bring in weekly communion that each of us are invited weekly as we go through this gospel to center our lives around the person of Jesus to again find life in his name. And I hope that our lives aren't necessarily this dramatic, that you know, we come and we eat the bread and we drink the cup and then we have life, but then we go out there and we're, we're hungry and we're thirsty, but in a sense, if we could picture it in a sense in that way, that you will not find living water out there. You will not find a meal that will satisfy your soul thirst out there. No, you must come to the table in order to be filled. You must come to the table of the Lord in order to have life. This meal that represents Jesus. Jesus himself is the only meal that will satisfy your soul's hunger and your soul's thirst. So what an invitation that we have weekly to partake in together as we go through this gospel. Yeah, amen. So um, 
we've, we've mentioned it many times, uh, we're actually kicking off our week of prayer uh, tonight. And so I think everybody has a schedule of what's happening. And we want to pray about many, many things, but I think we're going to be praying a lot too, just about the this new vision for Sundays. And so, you know, I want to encourage two things. Pray that God will revive, refresh you, um, and that through you, he will uh, allow uh, living water to flow so that others who are thirsty might drink and be filled. And um, also, the second thing I forgot. And so, <laughs> what was the second thing I wanted to say? Um, you know, it's really a great point, but um, literally, my mind it just completely went blank on it. What was the second thing? Nobody knows because it was in my brain, and now it's and now it's gone. Cheryl, can you read my mind? What was I thinking? Oh, no, I don't think this was it, but. Um, but I, I will say this as we finish things up. Um, so as, as you know, um, we, we will be teaching through John's gospel as a team. I will do the majority of the teaching on Sundays. But um, as I've mentioned to you before, we have, God has given us some very gifted um, men who know his word, love his word, and, and very effectively can communicate it. So between us three that are sitting up here and a couple of others, John Wang, who uh, some of you don't know, maybe John got married yesterday, so he is... Um, we felt like it wouldn't be right to force him to stay home, uh, at, but we let him go on his honeymoon. But John will be sharing as uh, part of the teaching team as well, and uh, Kellen Criswell, and... Uh, Cheryl's even looked at a few of the passages in John and said she would love to teach that. So, so that, that's the way we will be going through um, John's gospel. But um, that God would, would use us uh, to, to reach out to others and to, if, if nothing else, just extend the invitation to come and let's see what the Lord will do. Oh, and here's the other thing. And this is so simple. I finally remembered, yes. See, when you're 65, you forget stuff, and then you remember it. Sometimes not until three days later. But, uh, but it was, read through the Gospel of John. Just take this time. And you know, if you spent the, the time that we're going to be together, you know what, a, a year and a half going through it or whatever, if you just read the Gospel of John as your consistent Gospel reading for that time, you would not be disappointed uh, by the time that that season is over. I've read, uh, I've read John. I just finished John this morning in the ESV. So I've read it in the NIV uh, since we made the decision. I've read it in the NKJV, and this morning I just read it in the ESV. I finished it, and tomorrow I'm going to start it in the CSV because I just want to go through different versions. And, you know, they're all the same, but then there's nuance, little differences here and there. So, But I, I would encourage you, Man, because there's so much in the Gospel of John. You get that lodged in your heart and mind, and it is a river of living water for you, and it's a, it's a resource for others as well.